Welcome to Friendo Podcast, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. As a YouTuber, I've shared my life online for the last eight years, and now I'm excited to learn about you. Friendo celebrates people and their stories, from interesting jobs to unique passions and curious life skills that the world should hear about. Community is everything. Let's do this. was about 18 months ago, maybe a little longer now, when I realized that my knowledge of Indigenous people and their experiences was very small. And at first I was very embarrassed by this lack of information because I thought to myself, am I just not interested? Why don't I know more about this? And then as, as I started to learn more and listen more... I began to realize that it wasn't entirely my fault. I had not been taught all of the right stories in school. I had not been exposed to different minority groups through school, through my job experiences. And I began to realize that there's so much power in learning and hearing about other people's lived experiences you build understanding, you build empathy. This is how, you know, you create allies. You know, this is how we just become better people all around. And I am naturally a very curious information seeking person. And I also really love, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty with one person having really, you know, curiosity-filled, engaging conversations with other people. It's basically why this podcast was born. And my guest today, Melissa, really helped me get a better understanding of a regular woman living her life, doing her thing, who also happens to be Indigenous. Now, Melissa is 33. She's happily married with three little girls, 14 months old, four years old, and seven years old. She's from Métis and Aboriginal heritage, but she classifies herself as Aboriginal Ojibwe. And growing up, it was just her and her mom. You know, she'll be sharing more of her story throughout the episode. And she lived in the northern town called The Paw, um, which when I was speaking to Dean, he was explaining you know, it's kind of a rough town, the Paw, and Melissa shared some of these experiences having grown up there. And that, you know, she didn't have the easiest childhood, although her mom did the very best that she could. And throughout Melissa's story, what's so powerful is this connection and yet a disconnect from her culture and her heritage. And I think many of us may resonate with that message as we grow up and move away from our homes, from our communities, sometimes from our countries, and yet still feel drawn back to elements of our histories, of our ancestors. There's just so much that I don't know. And it is so important to celebrate differences, to celebrate other people's lived experiences, and to take a moment of pause and step outside of our own lives to appreciate someone else's journey. This is one of the reasons I love this podcast. You know, I think that there is a place for everything 
on the internet because you can pretty much find anything on, you know, the World Wide Web. But in terms of conversation, if I want to seek out a celebrity, I can find the same conversation 12 times on different platforms. But sometimes I just want real people. I want real lived experiences of other people doing the same thing that I'm doing. And the only difference is that they didn't start a social media platform a bunch of years ago and just haven't built an audience to share their story. And so this is what I love about this podcast is just giving space to conversation, giving space to education, right? Seeking out new information, learning people's experiences. Honestly, I just like it. My curious brain really appreciates these stories. And so I thank Melissa in advance for taking the time to share her story with us today. And I also encourage everyone listening to maybe think about their own story. Is there something a little bit unique about your experiences? Because I guarantee there is. And if you're feeling brave, maybe you'd like to submit an application to be part of this podcast. All you have to do is head over to our website, hellofriendo.com, and you'll see a link to submit your story. Why not? Right? We all have something interesting to offer, and my team and I will be going through your applications and picking out a few more to interview in the coming weeks. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this show. And without further ado, let's welcome Melissa. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am very curious about your story. And I also kind of love that as we were talking here, like I feel like Dean orchestrated this interview himself because he's, <laughs> you know, from a similar part of Canada. So for the yes. listeners, tell me a little bit about yourself. I live in Southern Manitoba. I have three little girls, seven, four, and 15 months. A wonderful husband, and I am a realtor. I am a real estate agent. What was life growing up? What was that like for you? Well, I grew up in the northern community of the Paw, Manitoba, and that's where uh, my mom and I uh, were living. Uh, I grew up in a single a single family household, so it was just my mom and I. I do have older brothers, but in the divorce, they just, they stayed with my dad and then my mom took me and we left and, um, we didn't have a lot of money. We tried to make the best of it as we could, but I remember, um, feeling lonely a lot as a kid and having a lot of anxiety. And I think anxiety can come on with in any situation, no matter how much money you have. But I think just statistically, I was more prone to have it just with the less money, the one parent, you know, my mom, she was trying to do the best that she could. And it was hard for her to sometimes maintain my emotional needs as well, too. So now you're going to have to forgive me because I'm learning all the right terms, but how would you identify? So is it you're an indigenous woman? Is it first nations? Is it like, tell me how you, what terminology is the right one? I would identify as Aboriginal um, Ojibwe. So that is what we would be. 
Okay. So your, both of your parents are also Aboriginal? No, my dad is um, Aboriginal and my mom is Métis. I do have a, a lot of French heritage in there as well, too. So um, my dad's mom would have been um, Métis, more of the French, but then my dad's dad was more of the Aboriginal one. But then my mom's mom was Aboriginal, but her dad was actually English. So there's there's quite a bit of a mixture, but all in all, I would consider myself um, Aboriginal. Aboriginal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for the listener, you know, I do have a lot of Canadians. There's a lot of people from around the world. Canada has a unique history with, you know, the First Nations community, with Aboriginal people. And I must admit, being a 36-year-old woman, there's so much that I'm learning, but it is like self-taught, you know? Like I... You've got to find the books. You have to seek out the podcasts. You have to find the voices to listen to. And so where I grew up, and we were talking a little bit about this before we even hit record, but where I grew up in the suburbs of Montreal, there wasn't a lot of exposure to, you know, what a reserve looks like, what, you know that an indigenous person, an Aboriginal person is just a regular person doing regular work. It's not just this character in a, in a book or that you would see at a museum. It isn't always the, the nicest history. And we're not here to talk about all of that today. You know, people listening can seek out that information for themselves, but what was it like in the paw growing up? Was it, you know, were there challenges that you experienced that you saw firsthand? Oh, absolutely. The Paw um, would be considered um, a hard, a hard town. Just people are just a little bit more harder. Um, I did, I did have a a lot of friends and, but I don't think we ever fit in the community. Maybe just because my mom was a single parent and just trying to work and just trying to get day by day and stuff like that. And then I've had um, experiences with teachers and stuff like that, that weren't uh, very nice to me, maybe because of the way I looked. And my mom often said to maybe because of um, your last name, which was more at the time, M-O-A-R, that's my maiden name. And then I was also just um, nervous and scared. It's not a town that you go walking around at 10 o'clock at night. It's You have to be a little bit more careful. Tell me about the last name part. I don't understand the reference, the more. Why would that be a triggering for someone? I don't, I don't know. I never fully understood it myself, but I think um, it's probably just having to do with it's an Aboriginal last name. It's different. It's not part of um, the town and their community. And then we also had um, the reserve that was right across the river from the town. So there was a lot of conflict. It's a big reserve. It is very well to do. It has its own school. And there was um, there was a lot of conflict at times. This is something that Dean was telling me. And I was like, I hope 
you would tell me a little bit more about it, but he goes, you know, a town can be impacted by the reserve. And if the reserve is a really good reserve, and I was like, what's a bad reserve? I don't know the difference. Right. But you're saying on the reserve, there's a school, like there's all of those things to help the community. Was it harder to be off the reserve growing up being Aboriginal? You know, I never knew any different because um, I was I was gone so soon. Like I was only two. And mind you, this was not the reserve that I came from. We came from a reserve that was um, it's called Crane River. And so it's a little southern reserve, like closer to Dauphin. But my mom decided that we were just going to um, settle up there. Yeah, you're you're right. As a child, you wouldn't know any different if you hadn't experienced any other type of upbringing. When you had written your story, you you know you you shared that you felt a little disconnected from your culture. Right. Why? Tell me a little bit more about that. I think it's uh, the culture is becoming lost. I think over time, um, whenever I could, I would go and visit my dad who was still living on the reserve. So, you know, holidays, weekends, um, I would go there and we would, uh, we would do certain things. Like we would go to the powwow in the summertime and I loved it. I love the music. I love the dancers, all the colors and everything like that. But there was a lot of alcohol and there was a lot of drugs also. So, um, you know, I stuck close to my dad. We didn't go and visit a whole lot of people. And it's just when that sort of stuff comes into the community, uh, culture just becomes lost. For myself and for people listening, can you tell me what, what a powwow is? Um, it's hard to explain. It's, um, I would say it's a spiritual ceremony where you can go and everybody gets all dressed up and little girls in their jingle dresses and little boys in their outfits. And then obviously adults as well, too. And you have the drums and you have the singing and it's, oh, I just, I can hear it in my head right now. And it's just something that just feels so spiritual and I try and I haven't done it for a while I really should do it again but you know when you're doing the dishes or cleaning around the house you have music playing and I would often play that just to my girls to have just in the background and like hey listen and just to see how they would respond That's beautiful. I feel Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's things that we're learning right now, even just terminology, like for the longest time, people would use the term powwow to talk about a gathering of people, you know, just like, like just off the cuff. And there's just words that I love that we're being so aware of how powerful language is. And you just don't use that word flippantly. Like this is a spiritual, you know, moment or gathering and and part of something that isn't, if it's not your cultural heritage, we must be aware of how we use those terms. Um, Yes. And, you know, for, for the, the drugs and the alcohol part that might be shocking for people to hear, you know, you have this, it seems like such contrasting things, a cultural experience, a spiritual experience, and then drugs and alcohol. But this is problematic in so many 
so many people's lives and it's not something that people yes. like to talk about. Right. No. Um, but it is impacting and there's, and I think without diving into it, I am not an expert, but from what I've read about and listened to, I mean, there's, there's a lot of problem with the, you know, indigenous communities and um, the way that residential schools have come in and just destroyed people's, yes, you know, family lines. And so coping mechanisms have been taken up. And as we learn, Mm -hmm. not all coping is good. Right. So um, I encourage the listener to learn more about that on their own. Um, But I can appreciate as a child of divorce that disconnect, like there's just a big chunk of time where you're not with a family member enough to gain all of the little things from them. Um, right. You know, I, I personally, so my parents divorced when I was seven and I had a lot of like anxiety from that looking back at it now. Um, but I remember there was just, it wasn't enough time with the grandparents. It wasn't enough time to spend with my dad one-on-one. And I do feel like as an adult, I tried to find ways to make up for lost time. And, you know, as a young person, you know, spend weekends at my grandparents when I maybe should have been out partying, but you know, you're trying to find this balance of spending time with people. Now I know that once one thing that perhaps is a little different is you moved away from your hometown, like fairly young with your boyfriend, now husband, um, but your boyfriend (laughs) at the time. So I'm curious, was that move to get away to, you know, just be free of whatever was maybe happening in your hometown or was it to start fresh? Was it a new adventure? What did that look like for you? Absolutely. It was to get away. And looking back now, I was I was 18. I was just a baby. But um, yeah, I wanted to get away. And I had been to my husband's um, as we moved to his hometown before we moved to the city and then the city. Then we moved back. So we were in his hometown for a little bit. And I had I had been there before and it was just such a contrast. We could walk around at all hours of the night and we were the most dangerous people on the streets at that time. You know, like it's a very prosperous, very rich um, Mennonite white community. And it felt so safe for me. And it was like this little bliss town where we can go and get drunk at the bar and then go on walking adventures all around town. And, you know, we don't have to worry about anything. That must have been a huge shift for you. Yes. Wow. And Mennonites, I had to figure out because we have... um, a large Mennonite community in Ontario as well. Um, mm-hmm. Was it like the horse and buggy style of community that you were in? No, it was the, it was more of like just the modern, you know, that's more of just what they're, um, that's, they're, they're more like just like their culture. That's what they would base it on is just like the Mennonite. But no, it was, it's just a very normal, very normal town. Although we do have um, like the Hutterites 
colonies around us and as well too and we do have like the black caps and the white caps which are two different colon two different mennonite based colonies but in town it is usually just whatever you want to call normal so was your uh husband was he part of that community or he just happened to live there no he was born and raised so that's where he's from, you know, where he was from and then um, his parents are from and then, you know, the grandparents, you know, there's a long, a long history that goes back. You live there, you have, you're having a good time, you're feeling safe and free. Is that where you then went back to school or what happened next for you? Yes. So we both um, applied for university. So the University of Manitoba, which is located in Winnipeg, and he was going to school. My schooling was actually, thankfully, paid for by the reserve. Amazing. And so even my rent was paid for. So, you know, at the time I look back and be like, geez, Louise, Melissa, you know, you could have been a little bit more um, present and could have done a little bit more better, but oh, we were having fun going to school and drinking on the weekends. And, you know, I mean, you're young, you learn, right? Well, you're young and like be young. That's the time to do it, right? Did you know we've released a shop where you can support Frendo? Check out hellofrendo.com and explore. That's H-E-L-L-O-F-R-I-E-N-D-O.com and shop mugs, shirts, stickers, hoodies, and more. We're constantly adding new goodies for you. Your purchase directly supports the show and the work involved in creating it for your ears. So thank you. Check out hellofrendo.com. All right, back to the show. One thing I meant to ask before we jump to the schooling part of it, but was being an Aboriginal woman, did you feel Mm -hmm. like you stuck out in this new community? Did people treat you differently? How was that part of it? Absolutely. Um, Especially with coming into a white community and then, and maybe it was just, me being paranoid and stuff like that but I definitely felt like there was some some looks and uh, some different um opinions of the way people thought about me however um like my husband's family was always very open and very positive so they had a lot of questions in the beginning which I don't blame them I mean it's it's the ignorance right they don't know So we had a lot of um, conversations about what you say and what you don't say. And, but all in all within that family, they've always been very open and very loving. That's so wonderful to hear because that's not a, you know, that's not a challenge one wants when it's with your partner, your chosen person to have then struggles with the family there. Like I, you know, what a, what a relief that they're just such open, loving people that makes all the difference. Yes. So you get your degree and at some mm-hmm. point you decide to move back. So did you move back to your hometown? Did I get that part no, of the story right? No, okay, we me. moved back to his hometown. Oh, okay. So that's so you that's where we are now. Yes. Oh, amazing. So you're back in the same community. Yes. Oh, this is wonderful. So you're closer to his family. You've got the three little yes. girls. 
Now, is your mom still around to be part yes. of your life? She- yes. Oh, absolutely. I am super close with my mom. And um, I just want to put something in here and just note that she did the absolutely very best that she could um, as a child and me growing up. But it was, I can't imagine how hard it was on her. She had no family she had to rely on herself. And then she also had this little girl that she needs to take care of as well. So anything that I might say, I use very gently because I believe she did the very best that she could. Actually, this is a really wonderful point to bring up because just as you're saying this, I'm thinking for her story, you know, what would that have been a very difficult thing for her to leave the reserve? Like, was that her reserve that she had lived on with your dad? No. And uh, this is a story that I could tell another day, but there is, and this is her story to tell, but there was um, a lot of abuse and she stuck around with it for a long time. And I was sort of, the baby that maybe would make it all better, you know, if something just sort of happened. And then when she finally realized that she took me away from all of it. And I can only thank her for that in the end. Absolutely. I mean, from the little bit that I know about Aboriginal women and some of the experiences that can happen and their lived experiences, your lived experience, your mother's lived experience, it seems like as difficult as that was for her, that challenge was likely worth worth it. Because look Absolutely. at look at where you are now. You mean yes. you have this wonderful job, this beautiful life, and she contributed to that, right? And Absolutely, so that she did. That's amazing. And to think, you know, here we are talking about, you know, these. It's interesting the part that this Mennonite communities actually come into play because in some ways there's some similarities, right? About how these communities work together and support each other. But then yes. when you're not part of it, how that can be impactful. And so to for your mom to have done that all by herself, like I can't even imagine, right? I mean, just being a single parent is tricky. Then you add in all these other factors with the lack of support. And then yeah. being, you know, would you consider it a minority? Yes. Yes. The way people treat you, you know, and yes. the deep rooted racism that exists. And, and I can't even imagine, I mean, being the a white one, especially. Oh, yes, exactly. The stereotypes. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about being a mom, starting your life in a community that wasn't actually yours either. So you're kind of new and you have this wonderful support from your partner and his family. But what was that like early days of motherhood? It was hard. I did not transition um, to motherhood very easily. Um, We were in the city. I had a really hard labor and delivery. Um, As you know, um, 26 hours of labor and then three hours of pushing, which um, resulted in an episiotomy. And she she finally came out, you know, and at that point, I had totally forgotten the baby at the end of this tunnel. And so when they placed her on me, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, it's sort of like, 
<laughs> like you just totally forget. Um, and then from there, it's not like you get any rest. Mm-hmm. You're sort of just pushed even more into it. And being in the city, um, the nurses pushed you out so fast that there wasn't there wasn't even any time. And then we struggled with nursing and um, and sleep. And my husband and I both got postpartum depression because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And because it's our first, the nurses told us in the hospital, Oh, don't, don't swaddle your baby because that's what you're not supposed to do anymore. So we didn't. And so my, my poor baby is naked and freaking out and his arms flailing. And we look back and we're like, what was that? So that is wild. Yeah. I had this thing when Esme was little, little, like my first was born that right. I wouldn't give her a soother, a pacifier. Right. Yes. What the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember like my mom, my mom and I have a pretty good relationship, but she's always very careful because sometimes I'm like, that's enough. And I put the barriers up. So she was really yes. careful not to like, don't freak out a new mom. Don't tell the new mom what to do. But I remember yes. being in Malaysia on the phone with my mom, freaking out, thinking my nipples were going to fall off. And she was like, yes, honey, that baby is three weeks old. You could give them a soother. You give her a soother. I remember I like put the phone down. I was like, go to the store. And Dean went and got like <laughs> six different soothers. I was, and I mean... Maybe there's like one mystery baby that like turns away the breast after having a soother, but I didn't have any of those and we were fine. But it's like, I mean, you know, this is the thing like, and that's seven years ago, right? I mean, it's amazing to think how much has changed for mothers and how much access to information we have now. Yes. Like these, it's almost silly to think like a soother or we didn't swaddle because one person said, don't do it. Right. It's just wild. Um, that being said with the information, um, I often talk with my mother-in-law and she said it was almost better not having that information because it's just like, well, we just didn't do it this way where I almost drove myself crazy at night with my first doing, I did this to my baby. Is she okay? And then you get the backlash from everybody and, oh, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this and you should be doing this. And uh, like mom community groups are harsh and they shouldn't be about. You're absolutely right. There is that other other side of the pendulum that's like, too much, too much of a good thing. Right. And it can be really tricky to find your groove as a mom, as a new mom, when we're trying to get information. And I know like my mother-in-law who um, is a different generation to my own mother was very loving and supportive um, and would offer advice in a way that was very gentle. Like you have to be so gentle with new moms, right? Because yeah, Now we know that there are things like postpartum depression, but you know, when she was having babies, you were just maybe a little sad, you know, you, nobody knew how severe these things could be. So with your experience with PPD, like, was this the type of thing where I actually don't even know if this is a thing, but do you get medication for this? Did you sort of just work through it? Um, 
you can get medication for it. Absolutely. I definitely have some friends um, that have gotten medication for it, but I, I didn't um, with all three of my children. I just sort of wrote it out. Kind of just knew, okay, this could be coming. We're going to prepare for this and just kind of get through it. I can't imagine yeah. that was an easy thing to go through in those early days. And then you add on subsequent babies. So you've got little babies and then toddlers running around and trying to manage mm-hmm. it all. Um, definitely not an easy thing, but I think so many people listening can relate to those feelings and those experiences. Um, you know, with your culture and your heritage being an Aboriginal woman, how do you bring that culture in with your children? I know you mentioned a little bit about the music, but how are you, how are you doing that? Or are you? You know what? It's, it's hard. And I should, maybe I should be doing more, but um, there's not a whole lot that I am doing at this point. And it is really hard um, to explain it to them when they're so young right now, too. Um, I do it with the music and I would love eventually to take them back to a powwow so they can see and maybe even get them um, a jingle dresses and have them go out there and do little dances and stuff like that. But I don't know. I find it, well, you know how it is. Um, when you have small children, sometimes you're just trying to do like the day by day. I feel like sometimes I'm just constantly skimming off the surface you know, and anything else that I can put in there is just extra. I feel like even asking that question, I want to give myself a little smack because you're like, well, great. Let's put more pressure onto a mom. Right. No, no, but, it's okay. <laughs> but you know, like as I'm, as you're speaking, I'm like, this is where, you know, grandparents and elders in a community would yeah. help. Right. Like, yeah. So when you were growing up and experiencing these powwows and these moments, likely on the reserve, it probably wasn't just your dad going, here's what we're doing today. You know, it was the community coming together and experiencing a moment, a day, a celebration. So it's not just on the pressure of one and that, you know, this seems to be in whatever heritage a person comes from, you know, it seems to be a problem in a way because we're moving far from our hometowns. We're moving around the world. Like even for myself, like I speak French and I grew up in a French community. Do you think my kids, aside from what they've learned in school, learn anything from me? Probably not. Right. You know, and it's like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) No, no, we're busy. (laughs) We're busy. And it's like, even with foods, like there's these, this certain food I love for Montreal, like smoked meat sandwiches and poutine and these like hot dogs. And you would say to Garni, like all dressed. And um, I mean, I could try to make it, but we could also just go (laughs) in the summer or something, you know, when the pandemic doesn't exist. Cause it's just, one person can't like share an entire culture as you're raising humans. It's just not possible. Yes. So yeah. um, you're right. It's it's those moments of like, okay, the jingle dress. I didn't actually know what that's that that was the name of it, but that's what mm-hmm. it is. It's so beautiful. Yes, I actually um, I just watched a show 
completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but it's called The Wilds on Amazon. And mm, okay. I don't know if you've seen this, this, this no. series. It's fascinating, blew my mind. If you need something to like entertain you where you cannot predict the ending, which I always predict endings. The show is incredible. But one of the girls, it follows like 10 girls or something. One of the girls um, is uh, an indigenous girl and she was a dancer and she was competing. And it was so beautiful to see just a part of her heritage brought into the show. Um, right. And just little things like wanting to see yourself in other people, you know, she yes. looks a certain way. So when, you know, how do I see myself in others? And, and I think with your girls, you'll likely just, it's as they get to different stages, right. And, and yeah, exposure to those things that they can feel connected, um, to you yes. and ultimately to their heritage. Uh, because I forgot Absolutely. to ask, I've seen a photo of your husband, but for people listening, they haven't, your husband is not Aboriginal. He is not. No, he is full on Mennonite. And a fun fact, I actually have um, a blonde. I have a blonde little girl, blonde, green eyed. With, uh, I thought my genes were going to be totally dominant. So when she was born, my husband and I were both like, she's blonde. <laughs> she, Genetics are amazing. cool. Yes. <laughs> That's a, it was probably some recessive gene. Like you'd said, you'd had like yes. a great, great grandparent that was English. Boom. That little recessive gene yep. came through. That is wild. There she is. There yes. she is. You know, before we wrap up this conversation, I'm curious, you know, what brings you joy right now? I know that if you have a 14 month old, that means you had a little baby as you were getting into the pandemic. Like, oh, yes. I can't imagine that this has been, I mean, at least they have each other but they also require a yes. lot of mom and dad. But what's bringing you joy right now in this season? Uh, the fact that here in Manitoba, things are about as normal as they could be right now. My seven-year-old has been going to school um, since September. Amazing. So it's the process of, um, it's a purpose, right? We have to get up in the morning and I purposely didn't put her on the bus this year because I wanted to walk. I wanted to get up in the morning, have that purpose, get everybody out the door and walk back and forth to school. And on average, I, I get a good three kilometers in a day and that makes me so happy. That's amazing. Little things, right? When you've got yes. little ones, I remember like my youngest is seven. So we're in a different, you know, a little bit of a different phase. But I remember when they were little, little, it's like having that purpose, having something to do each day. Um, yes. Whether it was like, we're going to go to the library today or we're going to go visit someone, have a little play date. And I must admit that there are so many of these younger families, like with younger children on my mind lately, because it's so tricky to experience those things when we're in never ending lockdowns, at least, you know, yes. in where I live in Canada. So, um, finding something that purpose is so important because otherwise the days just kind of run into each other. And when we're not fulfilled and our cups aren't full, that leaks over right into how we parent and all, and how we treat our partners and all of those things. So, um, Oh, nice exactly. It's nice to hear that it's that little, the little moments, right? Um, yes. 
Well, I so appreciate you sharing your story with me today. And, um, you know, I feel like it gives a little insight into what it, what it's like growing up in Canada in a different neck of the woods, right? It's, it's so, yes. you know, here we are two women of similar ages and such different life experiences. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Dean, my man friend. <laughs> well, hi. Hello, friendos. Hello. I like to change up that last bit. Just keep Dean on his toes a little, you know? I'm still in my pajamas, so... Well, is it pajamas where... or is it candle-making clothes? It's candle-making clothes. That's correct. Slash pajamas. Well, put it this way. There's Whatever. not going to be a video for this section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Let's talk about Melissa. Oh, my God. First of all, you sort of organized that interview, so thank you for bringing Melissa to my attention. Yeah, I. So she sent an email, and I usually don't handle any emails because I can't spell. I was just gonna say you yeah. can't spell. So it's and it you or Sam. Crazy. You guys handle all the front end work. I'm basically just like the working dude. Oh, I was gonna say a pretty face, but yeah, that. Too. Yeah, I wouldn't put pretty on there, <laughs> but I'm a working guy. I'm like, I'm the he- I do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Anyway. So Melissa had written to me on Hello Friendo and she was saying, you know, she's from the Paw and, and uh, uh, you know, Northern community. Uh, and uh, as you may know, like I flew out of Sioux Lookout, Ontario, and I went up to all those places, uh, you know, uh, all through Northern uh, Manitoba mm-hmm. and Northern Ontario, parts of Quebec. So... And she said she was Indigenous. And I have a lot of experience working with Indigenous people. And I kind of was really interested in her speaking on Frendo because a lot of people, like, I feel that, you know, I grew up in a community that was, you know, mixed. We had First Nations. We had a lot of German, Ukrainian, different descents in the area. And there's a lot of things that, people don't know about indigenous people because, you know, you're getting things from the news and, you know, it's always just kind of, you know, very cut and dried and, oh, this is happening and this is happening and whatnot. But, you know, I worked with and am friends with a lot of, I have, uh, my cousins are Métis because mm-hmm. my auntie married a Cree uh, from the from the Cree nation. And he's just a very great guy and he used to take us fishing when we were young. And my cousins, uh, uh, you know, grew up kind of like as as French mostly, but as they grew older, they embraced their uh, their Cree heritage. So I do have some experience, and I know some of the things. And what I really wanted to get out of this was that nothing special, nothing like wow, there's fireworks, there's like wow, she did this and whatever. But she's just... not. She's not an advocate for. Oh, sorry. Hold on here. She's not necessarily trying to, you know, teach us anything. But what I loved about it, what I'm hearing from you is like, what was her lived experience? Right. What just, was her... Just like a portrait mm-hmm. of an indigenous woman in Canada who, you know, was near the reserve, but didn't grow up on the reserve. Single, uh, single mother family. And just like, you know, her journey from there it, to to go live with the the Mennonites and marry a Mennonite man. Like that's, that's really cool. So, you know, it, it's an awareness. 
I find that when you speak to, uh, you know, everyday people, we tend to just put like a, you know, like I said, it's a cut and dried thing. Oh, I want to compartmentalize. This person is like this. This person is like this. And this, they fit in this jar. Sometimes people fit in many jars and they just, uh, or many boxes, and you just kind of, it's interesting to listen to their life experience. Mm -hmm. But that's what Northern communities are like. They're, they're very, you know, um, there's a lot of social control. You got to be like me. You got to be like this and whatever. And especially when you were growing up, especially when I, mean, I was like growing I said, up. like I said in the episode, there's so much to know and to learn, and that unfortunately, me as a child did yeah. not get taught in school. Which means you certainly didn't get taught anything in school about it. Yeah. And knowing that you know the last one of the last residential schools closed, I was 15. 15 years old and that stuff's still going on and right. so it's important for people to seek out that information there's great podcasts and it's such a different you know for me growing up in the suburbs of montreal like i was saying to melissa there was very limited exposure well that's the other thing zero. that i was going to say you know don't we live in this really clean cut lovely environment like you know there's food in the fridge all the time there's uh, uh, uh we have enough salary that we can survive well now it's you know, things have changed, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But life is very clean and spotless and simple for some people. And 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 I'm speaking for myself. When I sit back as a privileged person, privileged because lights are on, there's water, uh, I don't really feel like there's a violent threat. Mm -hmm. uh, you you know, don't, you're not part of a minority group. Not part yeah. of a minority. Yeah. And and you, you have to put yourself in the shoes of of other people there's a lot more to people than just that and by listening to their stories i feel like you you learn a lot more about them than just it being handed to you mm -hmm. on a card oh here you go and you know what's interesting do you have you ever been to one of these museums i think maybe the museum of civilization in ottawa one time had it where you could go through and you would there would be um i know what you're talking yeah, about what is we that? were together was it the one that where you were hearing the different indigenous languages? Was it that one? And they were like, was it was almost like there were drums playing and you could hear this beautiful, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Or are you thinking about something else? But I've heard some, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Who knows where it was? Yeah. But you know, when you're listening to these people, you know, like uh, uh, the indigenous um, or the elder uh, First Nations people, uh, you know, they're talking about a time when things were almost you know there was so much of a connection to the earth and now if we want to be connected to the earth and all that stuff we throw on a yoga video and you know burn some white sage or whatever mm -hmm. and and you know it's so simulated mm -hmm. well and, and this is what yeah. melissa was saying is that the culture is getting lost and yeah. You know, that is such an interesting topic. Like there's something that jumped out for me when she was talking about her experience as a child at a powwow yeah. and the jingle dresses and the way that she could hardly even articulate using language what it felt like to be part of that mm -hmm. is just so beautiful. Right. And then, you know, thinking about myself and my culture and what does that mean to me and how hard it is to maintain that connection when we move around, you know, the world has become small, you know, we're able to get around, go further from our communities, right? right? And how do we stay connected to yeah. what grounds us to what we feel is part of us, our ancestry, you yeah. know, and how tricky that is as a parent to try and 
you know, be everything to our children. Yeah. And you, and it, and it leads you to like, you know, to contemplate is culture about the group that I'm hanging out with now, or is it where I came from? My mother is Ukrainian. My father is French. I speak not a lick of French and I understand it, you know, when it's spoken, Ukrainian, same deal, you know? So when we were young, people used to ask us like, you know, where are you from? And you always used to say, well, my father's French, mom's Ukrainian. Oh, is he from Quebec? I'm like, well, relatives were kind of from there, mostly landed in New Hampshire from from uh, Normandy kind of thing. And you just kind of go like, so what, you know, later in life, you're like, well, you're, you're Canadian. Mm-hmm. So is Canada my culture? Or is what is my culture, and mm-hmm. and who's to tell me what it is? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, why I'm saying this is because does she feel that she identifies with indigenous ways of life, uh, First Nations way of life, uh, because of her of her her uh, birth, or is it something else? You know what I mean? Mm. It's very it's very layered. It and, is complicated. because she's really moved away from it, right? So anyway, the whole thing is, is that for me, it's nice to take a little picture, a snapshot, like almost like watching those things at the museum where you go, oh, you know what? That's cool. One person's experience Mm -hmm. in a First Nations or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about uh, environment that moved in with the, you know, married a Mennonite and knows Hutterites. And we all know Hutterites and, you know. Well, uh, not everybody, but yes. No, I know, but it's just amazing. Like that's a whole culture. There's just so much of it. Anyway, I found it very interesting. Yeah. And the part two, so being a woman who does not, you know, a similar age group, but does not have that same type of lived experience. I'm a white woman. You know, how can I relate to elements of her story? And I think one of the bigger things is I also felt like I was getting away from something when I was leaving home at 19 and wanting to start somewhere new. And then as you get away and as you start somewhere new, you know, first of all, it's kind of addictive to want to keep going to new places. Mm, I don't know if that's... (laughs) You and I both have that similar problem. And isn't it a lesson that no matter how far you go from your home, there are so many things that you try to bring with you, like things that you feel connected to your place of birth or how you grew up or certain traditions that you experienced as a child. Like I feel a lot of nostalgia for things like that. Right. But in the same breath, there's no going back. Like I can't just move back to the city I grew up in and all of a sudden feel like connected to the place. Right. Like there's too much that has changed. I have changed too much. There's no going back. So I pondered the question, like as I carry on in my life, um, you know, wherever I place my roots and make new traditions, how do I keep elements of my history, of my family's traditions with me and share that with my family as I carry on? And how do you keep some of that alive? Right. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, from... I don't know, grade 10 social studies or something. You remember they talked about patchwork and melting pot, Mm. where is, I don't know, I can't say, but it was compared to back then, like United States is the melting pot, Mm -hmm. whereas Canada is the patchwork. I'm not sure I agree with that, but in any event, it's like, yeah, we're Canadian, but we are, you know, Ojibwe, we are Ukrainian, we are German, we are Japanese, we are, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's it's a national identity. But then there's also the, your your heritage mm-hmm. and where you came from. And I think it's important, number one, to realize where you came from like the little traditions that you had uh uh, they 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 give you something to hold on to i mean with my mom's culture ukrainian it's food it's food well even even in this episode Mm -hmm. i talk about being from quebec and i all i could talk about was the food (laughs) that i miss some of those like lovely things that you eat and you can only get in quebec yeah and then secondly is is you know the celebration of other people and that sounds really really hokey right but you know, just like those little monitors that you watch at a museum when someone's talking about their life, um, Melissa's experience is something that I really enjoyed listening to because there's little sparks. That I go, oh, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. And that is an identity that that, that gives me that that fortifies my identity and my experiences, even though they may be different. So I really liked uh, what she had to say. And I, I, you know, as as uh, as an Indigenous woman, there is a stories beyond stories mm-hmm. beyond stories. I think it's so important to actively seek out stories of people with different lived experiences than you. Because like you said, you know, by appreciating other people's stories, it solidifies your own. It's like yours yeah. is also different and worthy. Well, and what I like, and it's like a little plug of the... Um, friend of podcast is that this was the whole idea this was the whole idea i don't want to bring up my google news feed and read about the same celebrity over and over over and over are they really that interesting they probably are yeah but they're no more interesting than anyone else and you know what you have to celebrate community and celebrate the individual and it's not going to be flashy and they're not going to have a pr firm spinning your life but the whole thing is it's just as important to everyone else and by sharing experience, experiences, it kind of brings uh, uh, us all closer together and gives awareness of how different we are, but we're also the same in so many ways. Totally. Community, man. That's where it's at. Right on. On Word. that note, thanks for being here. You know, I live here, so... <laughs> Thanks for coming upstairs into my office. Uh, yeah, thank you to everyone listening and supporting the podcast. Yeah, thanks for supporting the podcast. Absolutely. And uh, as we're recording this, it's my birthday, so... Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. All right, friends. How old are you now? 21? Just about. What? Carry the one. 37, baby. 37? Heck yeah. How did that happen? So I just met you and you're a baby. I know. Perks to... Uh, That's so perverted. It is a little bit. You were a baby too. That's Perks true. to uh, marrying an old dude is you'll always be young. So there's a win. On that note, <laughs> peace out, friends. Peace out. Catch you next week. Friendo Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Amanda Muse. Music on this episode is written by Chris Bevins and Mike Payne performed and produced by MP Real Glow. If you'd like to help support the growth of Friendo Podcast, you can do so by leaving a positive review, sharing the podcast with your friends and community, and supporting the shop at hellofriendo.com. Find us on Instagram at shophellofriendo. And thank you for listening. And remember, be your own bird. Bird.